From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. This week, we got all the details on how the federal government is going to be spending our money in 2023. In the federal budget, there were some pocketbook measures that were announced that are actually going to help Canadians save some money. Uh, there's big money that was announced for a dental plan, big money announced for healthcare, but those billions of dollars can really be hard for us as individuals to wrap our heads around. How does that really affect me? Of course, if I need to go to the hospital, I need to see a doctor that's going to help me get that 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 connection made because there'll be more money in the healthcare system to make that happen. But what about my day-to-day stuff? What about stuff that really is going to help me budget better, save some money, maybe help me pay down my debts? The big headline was a grocery rebate, which is what the government is calling it. It's the doubling of the GST tax credit. Now, the GST tax credit is income tested. After $60,000 household income, you no longer qualify for it. So for those low-income Canadians who are receiving the GST credit, they can see that double. And the federal government says that could mean for a family of four an extra $467 in their pocket. And the hope is they will use that to buy groceries. So it's a bit of a stretch calling it a grocery rebate, in my opinion, because really it's the doubling of the GST credit. But they could have said, you know, this is money that you can use for groceries or you could use to pay down debt or you can use to buy household items. It doesn't necessarily have to be called a grocery rebate. You know, I was really looking for some more concrete measures that are going to help Canadians afford everyday Uh, life when it comes to food costs. Uh, Grocery costs are up 10% uh, year over year. How about bringing in some measures to keep the costs of basics down, like milk and bread and eggs and certain meats that are most commonly consumed in Canada? That's something that I was hoping to hear. I knew it wasn't going to be in there, but that's something that I think would really help everyday Canadians out, knowing they can, with some confidence, go to the grocery store and know that they can at least pick up the basics and be able to afford them. There was more uh, in the budget for families. They want to reduce the amount that payday lenders can charge those who are using their services. So payday loans, as most of us are well aware of, uh, charge very high fees for you to borrow money uh, from them for a short term. In uh, Up until yesterday, 47% they could charge. Uh, they want to reduce that number down to 35%. Still extremely high. If you compare it to a credit card, credit card fees are 22%, 19 to 22%. So still much higher than even what a credit card would charge you. But it is going to bring down uh, those interest fees for those people who are using those payday lenders uh, regularly and help them get out of that debt faster because that debt can add up very, very quickly if you don't pay it back right away. Uh, If you hold on to that debt for a year, it can be up to 400% premium on that debt. So you borrowed $1,000, all of a sudden now it's costing you $4,000 to pay it back. And that can be a, a debt cycle that's very difficult to get out of. One uh, one measure that they brought in that's not getting as much attention, but I think it deserves it, is more than $15 million over the next three years to create an online portal for Canadians 
to access information about their exposure to flooding. So this would be really helpful when you're buying a home, if you know what that home's exposure is to flooding, and if you can, in fact, get flood insurance. This is what happened with Hurricane Fiona. Many homes did not have flood insurance because they didn't qualify for it, so they weren't able to get it. And when they were hit as hard as they were, it became impossible for them to pay that bill. Federal government had to step in and pay for a lot of the cleanup and the damage that was done by Hurricane Fiona. So wouldn't it be great to know before you buy a house how at risk it is of flooding and whether you can get insurance? Uh, That could be a negotiating tool. If that home is priced for $200,000, you could say, well, you know, I need to buy uh, this premium insurance in order to protect my home or I can't even get insurance, so I need to put money aside in the case that there is a flood, and so that should bring the price of the home down. So that's something that uh, you could actually use as a tool of negotiation when you are buying a home, and definitely check out uh, whether your home is on a piece of land that is more susceptible to flooding, because that, of course, could mean increased costs. Uh, The government also wants uh, announced that they want to make it easier for low-income tax filers to actually file their taxes. Uh, They're attempting to ease some of those pressures when it comes to tax time and filing your taxes by just making it simpler for those of us who have very simple tax situations where they can be automatically filed uh, rather than having to go through this whole process, which many of us are going through um, at this time. Speaking of tax time, we'll be speaking to a tax specialist later in the program uh, talking about how we can really take some of the stress out of this that this uh, six weeks before we, our returns are due and how we can just approach taxes with a much more positive, positive point of view. Can you believe it? Taxes and positivity. We're also going to be talking about life insurance. More Canadians are interested in getting a life insurance premium since the pandemic because we're thinking about our own mortality, our own financial legacy. But when is the right time to actually sign up for life insurance? We'll be speaking to an expert about that and the things to consider before you sign up for that policy. We are going to come back after this quick break. We will be talking life insurance. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Huck. Sounding like a commercial, when is the best time for us to sign up for life insurance? The pandemic has gotten many of us thinking about our mortality and our dependence and what would happen if we weren't here. And one way to protect ourselves and our dependents is to sign up for a life insurance policy. But with so many choices out there, whole life, term insurance, and different lengths of those term insurance, how do we know what we actually need in our day-to-day life that will actually satisfy uh, the legacy that we're looking for? To answer all of our questions about life insurance, we are joined by insurance expert Lauren Marr, who is the Director of Business Development at Hub Financial, an insurance consultant company. Lauren, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So I asked that question off the top. I know for myself, uh, I got life insurance after I had kids because I didn't feel like I needed it before then. But from your perspective, when should a person consider getting life insurance and signing up for a life insurance policy? Well, that's a big one. Uh, Definitely when you have kids is probably, I'd say, the number one reason. Um, You know, obviously, the, the main reason why you need it when you have kids is 
your kids are dependent on your income. So if something were to happen to the person and they were to unfortunately pass away, what's going to replace that income? Uh, if you're earning, you know, a hundred thousand a year or whatever the case may be, how are you going to replace that income? And that's where, where life insurance can uh, play a huge role because there's, there's a, a lump sum uh, payment that's paid out to the beneficiary. They can use that to cover any necessary expenses and to replace that, that income. Some other reasons where, you know, people should start to look into life insurance are people who are self-employed or on contract work. A lot of those people don't have life insurance. So that's uh, going to be, you know, someone who may need life insurance, once again, especially if they have dependents. Uh, someone who purchased a home and has a mortgage or a line of credit, uh, you're gonna your income's helping pay for that uh, that debt each month. So if that that income were to disappear by the person passing away, that's where life insurance can really uh, have a huge impact. Yeah. So really, you have to think about you know what would life be like for this person if I wasn't here, if my income wasn't helping them, and what can I do to make sure that they are on their feet, at least for the short term or, the, you know, the medium term until they can find their own source of income uh, for children. That would probably be when they're, you know, graduated from university or even beyond uh, it's making yeah. sure that they have financial protection until then. Um, from your perspective, has the pandemic uh, spurred more people to sign up for life insurance, just considering what we've been through in the last three years? Sure. Yeah, we do a lot of work in the in the online world with our website. So um, there was definitely a big spike in traffic um, and visitors when COVID started. And the the reason for that is uh, is what you were mentioning at the at the top is that the news was essentially all about dying. And uh, you know when people are thinking about their own mortality, or when the news is about forcing people to think about their own mortality, they have to think about well. What's going to happen if I do pass away? How would that uh, how would that life insurance how would that that um, how would that income be uh, replaced? And that's where life insurance plays uh, plays a huge role. So yeah, that's uh, definitely there was a big spike at that time. Yeah, and it gave us more time. You know, most of us were at home. Most of us didn't have, you know, weren't able to go meet with anybody. Well, we shouldn't have been, especially in the beginning, meeting with anybody outside of our household. Gave us a lot of time to think about the things that really matter to us, right? Which is usually our children, our dependents, those that really are with us uh, most of most of our days. Um, term insurance, life insurance, and whole life insurance. Can, can you give me like a 101 on these two types of insurance policies that people can sign up for? Uh, just so we know, uh, we, the listener has a better idea of what they are. Sure. There's generally two types of life insurance. There's term, which you just mentioned, which is stands for temporary insurance. Uh, that's insurance that's going to start off lower in cost, but it's going to go up as you get older. And that's generally for a temporary need, like a line of credit, like a business loan, uh, like a mortgage, although mortgages can be extended, so you may want to look at a longer term. Terms can be anywhere, can be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, can be even longer. And the other type is a permanent insurance. And within a permanent insurance, there's whole life, universal life, or term 100. And the, the distinction between the term and the permanent is that the permanent starts off higher in cost, but then your cost is generally level for life. That can be a little different depending on the policy and you have that coverage for life. So you're gonna use your term insurance for a temporary need, 
you're going to use your permanent insurance, which would include whole life insurance for a permanent need. That That's a really good explainer. And for anyone listening, they might be thinking, well, what works for me? Do I go for uh, permanent insurance? Do I go for term insurance? And then how long of a term? Uh, how can someone decide what really works for them and their life? Well, that's where the, you know, really um, sitting down or working with a, an independent broker can really help because they're going to be able to look at one, the first step is what amount of coverage do you need? And then two, what type of policy do you need? And and part of what you, the policy you do need depends on what your goals are, what your situation is. You know, someone who, who's looking for a policy to cover a business loan, it's a lot different than someone who's looking for a policy for estate planning for a family cottage or to pass on a business to a, a family member. So, and it also depends on how long you're going to have that debt for? If you have a mortgage or a line of credit, do you have it for? You're going to have it for ten years. You're going to have it for twenty years. How old your kids are? So all those things will play a role into determining what coverage is best, and it may be a combination of the coverages. Yeah, exactly. It really does come down to speaking to that expert and figuring out what really works for you and what your what you, what your plans are when it comes to your financial uh, legacy. The last three years have been really difficult for so many Canadians. They've seen their jobs stop and start. Many of them, many of us have gone into a lot of debt in order to just pay our day-to-day bills. Um, that can mean that more and more Canadians, and the, and the data is showing uh, that more and more Canadians are claiming bankruptcy, which can have a huge impact on your credit score. How does credit score uh, play into getting a life insurance premium? Because we have to answer so many different questions when we sign up. Does credit score play a role and, and how so? It's a good question. Um, I've done some research into this topic recently. I've talked to some of the carriers and the underwriters. And let's look first at bankruptcy. Uh, if it's a, a current bankruptcy that hasn't been uh, discharged, then generally that will disqualify you from a traditional life insurance. There are some simplified or no medical policies where there's more limited questions and higher premiums where you could qualify. If, you, if your bankruptcy hasn't been discharged. But if it has been discharged, then you could qualify for uh, life insurance as, as a rule of thumb. Now, you asked about um, a low credit rating. Carriers, as a, as a rule of thumb, don't ask about credit ratings, but it could play a role if it's combined with other lifestyle issues. So mm -hmm. if, for example, someone had a criminal record if they had past drug use, uh, things that maybe make them an extra risk and combine that with a very low credit uh, rating. And if they're looking at a higher face amount, you know, the, that's where that's where your credit rating could play a bit of a factor. But if it's just, you know, a poor credit rating, you're looking for a standard policy that's maybe 250, 500,000, no um, lifestyle issues other than that, you should generally qualify for life insurance. That's really uh, good to know because some people may be worried about applying for life insurance if they've had, uh, you know, they've, they've had problems with money before and they're starting to get a little bit more serious about uh, their own financial future and life insurance may be a piece of that. I, I wanted to ask, though, so just out of that research, how likely is someone who has a, a low credit rating uh, to apply for life insurance because it is an extra cost. It may be something that if someone is already struggling and that's why their credit rating is low, uh, they may not consider a, 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 an expense that they want to take up at this time. 
It's a really good question. And, you know, I was thinking about that as I was doing this research. And it's it's really a catch-22 because if you think of someone with a low credit rating, generally they'll have a lot of debt. And people with a lot of debt, especially if they have dependents, are going to be very much in need of life insurance. So they, so they need the life insurance, but they can't necessarily afford a lot. So it, it really is a bit of a catch-22. I mean, some suggestions that I'd have uh, for those types of people is that you, you do want to have some life insurance if you can at all swing it. Um, if you're, you know, if you have dependents, because if you think about it, if people are living paycheck to paycheck and that paycheck were to stop, well, then that's going to throw their, their family's life into a, a total state of, of havoc. So mm -hmm. some things you can, you can think about is, uh, looking at a, you know, a shorter term type policy, like maybe a 10 year term, keep your costs low initially. And uh, if you do need a longer term, you know, maybe extending that term once your, your finances are in better shape. If you are a smoker, definitely investigate quitting smoking or try and quit smoking because not only will you save money on the um, on your on the cigarette, you'll also save significantly on your life insurance. Sometimes premiums can be, you know, more than double for a smoker. Uh, improving your overall health, if you know, on things where you can, if you're overweight, losing weight. Uh, may help you qualify for a lower rate on life insurance that may impact your blood pressure or your diabetes and things like that can all play a role in life insurance and and working with an independent broker someone who can uh, shop the market and find you the best possible value that's also going to help Lauren thank you so much for joining us on what can be a very complicated subject and also something you know people don't like to think about their own death their own mortality and uh, life insurance is just a is something that can help at least protect your dependents help you sleep at night knowing that you've done the right thing. And But there are always questions as to what kind of policy to get, when to start, who who should be included in that. And so I've, I think you've helped clear up a lot of that uh, for many of our listeners. So thank you very much. Thanks for that. It's, a, it's an important topic, one that I'm passionate about, and I'm happy to help. Uh, Lauren Marr is an insurance expert. He's the director of business development at Hub Financial, an insurance consultant company. And you can check out them, check them out rather online if you need to get more details, if you're looking at getting a life insurance policy. Uh, I liked how Lauren there had, of course, money advice when it comes to insurance, but also some health advice, quitting smoking, losing weight, not a bad thing to do if you can do it. And some life advice, you know, just doing the right thing. Uh, if you do have a lot of debt, maybe getting a short term policy uh, will at least help you uh, feel comfortable knowing that if something was to happen, that others wouldn't be left with that debt to pay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about an equally overwhelming subject, taxes. It's tax time. And many of us are feeling the pressure to get our return in on time. We have a tax specialist coming up that's going to help us navigate the next six weeks. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. Listen up. If you're a gig worker, a small business owner, independent contractor, so many of us, 1.7 million of us work in this quote-unquote gig economy. Basically, if you don't get a T4, this segment is for you because it can be really hard for those of us who do work in this gig economy 
to navigate all the credits and benefits that are due to us at tax time when we work for ourselves. You know, I'm really guilty of it too. I've Googled tax credits for freelancers almost every single year before I file my return and how to file my return when I'm a sole proprietor. These are questions that every year seem to be new to me and I don't have the answers. Well, to get some of those answers and to help those of us who are working in the gig economy navigate our way through tax time, we're joined by Eric Solbach and he's a CPA and the author of the Account Success Formula. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show. No, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have some fun. Yeah, if we absolutely. can have fun so, with taxes. <laughs> you can have fun with taxes. I mean, t- getting a tax refund is fun, right? So that's a, something to celebrate when you're able to actually uh, file a return on time, not have to pay a penalty and get a bit of a refund. But like I said off the top there, so many of us work in the gig economy and it can be hard because we don't have that guidance that you would get with a T4, with an employer. Um, what are some of the tax breaks that freelancers, contractors, sole proprietors that really that we should be aware of? Well, you know, the, first of all, taxes get a bad rap. Let's just be really clear about this. And people have this negative. You and I kind of talked about that just before we came on the interview here, where people, if you're thinking negative about taxes, taxes will be negative to you. So if instead you start thinking about it, how can my taxes work for me? And I remember when I had my accounting practice, clients would just stare at me and go, what? And I said, well, how many, how much do you want to pay in taxes? And they would say, uh, as little as possible. And I said, well, what if I told you, you could pay a hundred thousand dollars a year in taxes? And they go, oh, I'd never want to do that. And I'm like, I would. Think about that. If you're paying $100,000 a year in income taxes, how much money are you making? That's a very positive way of looking at it. And it really <laughs> does show that your income is growing. I think that that's, that, I think that's actually something we need to hear well, sometimes. Well, think about that. As someone says, well, wh- how much tax do you want to pay? I want to pay as little as possible. I'm like, no, I want to pay $1.2 million a year. And they're like, what? I said, well, how much income <laughs> am I making if I'm paying $1.2 million? And they're like, oh, oh, oh. Right. So, so that's a, you know, the first thing is like mindset for me, mindset's everything. The way you change, the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. That was a Wayne Dyer. That was his signature phrase that he said, but it's like with anything in life. So when you look at taxes, especially being an independent and you're starting a business on the rest of it, you're like, Oh, I got to just, don't be the victim to it. Say what is available to me to take advantage of. And so that's the first thing I kind of want to put out there. So again, so, it's not always paying the least amount of taxes. It's how can I maximize the value of my life? And maybe that means I'm going to pay a lot of taxes because I'm going to have a lot of income to to pay taxes on. Exactly. And I think that's a very positive way. I mean, if you're paying lots, uh, if you're paying uh, more and more taxes every year, that means you're making more and more income every year. But none of us want to pay taxes unnecessarily. We want to be tax efficient throughout the year. We want to take advantage of credits and benefits. But sometimes that can be really hard for someone who is freelance or works for themselves uh, to navigate. Give us some uh, roadmap as to how we can discover, you know, all the things that we may be entitled to, especially you know when we say yeah. quote unquote tax breaks uh, that we yeah. may not have heard of before. Yeah. So, so again, let's, let's, I'd like to give the listeners a, a really simplified thinking tool, something that they can keep in their pocket and have it forever. They never have to forget about it. Okay. So there's so many rules out there and it seems every time the government comes out with a new budget, they create more rules and it gets more complex. And, and so I've, I've looked at where the tax rules are and it gets so confusing. Everybody gets confused. I'm a ta- I was a tax specialist. I'm still a CPA and I look at it and I go, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So how can I simplify things down? If you are self-employed 
If you're a business owner, there's a general section in the Income Tax Act that overrides kind of everything else. And it says, if you spend money to make money, it's deductible. If you spend money for personal purposes, it's not. It's really, it's, it is 18, and I, I think I'm going to pull out a geek card here. I think it's 18.1 of the Income Tax Act for anybody. And, and if any listeners are accountants and they find that it's wrong, don't don't beat me up. But it's a general thinking to just to go, Lo, if I'm spending money to make money for business, then it's right off. I can write it off. If it is for personal purposes, then I can't. It's really that simple. From From the next, and then the next stage goes, if I can write it off, how do I write it off? And that's where the technical parts start getting in. Like maybe they go, oh, you have to write it off with this form or you have to put it into this box on your tax return. You have to do it there. But if we can just remember that simplified tool, it kind of makes it easier for us to go, okay, well, can I write this off? And it's like, well, yeah, it's for business. So therefore I'm going to put it in the business pile. I, I'm doing this. Is it for personal purposes? Well, yeah, then I'm going to put it in the personal pile. And this is where a lot of people get confused because they're like, oh, I heard my friend, friend's sister's brother's neighbor's nephew uh, mm -hmm. tell their, their, their dog walker that they could write off all of their personal food at home. And I was like, wow, how did you do that? Like everybody's always trying to find a way to write off all their personal stuff, but really if it's personal, it's personal. So yes, don't write it off. Keep and it that's th Exactly. And I think that is a really good way of sort of making that decision in your mind year long when we are trying to, you know, decide whether we should keep this receipt or whether we need to recycle it yeah. or put it into yeah. a, a different uh, pile. Uh, but for freelancers, it can be a really overwhelming time. Um, you know, even if you work from home, deciding how much of your home is actually considered a home office, um, yeah. how do you navigate that? Uh, how, how can a, a person who's first starting out on their own navigate, you know, how much of my utility utilities can I write off as a business expense? Because I do work from home, for example. Yeah. So, so this is where, again, I, I, I'm not into the weeds anymore in terms of the tax rules, but I do, again, I try and take things, I try and look at, take this complex, think about the world. It's so complex. There's complexity, 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 and it gets harder and harder to understand it. And if we try and go in and figure everything out on our own, you're going to be spending all your time and attention on your taxes when really you should be focusing your time and attention on getting more gigs getting more clients, getting higher value in the marketplace, making more money. And so I, I always advise people to focus on what they do best and outsource the rest. And so I know that everybody has this DIY model, this do-it-yourself model, and they want to try and figure mm -hmm. out all the taxes and who can, how can I write this off and that off? Well, if you want to, you just go and open up the Canada Revenue Tax Act and you just read it and it tells you. It's a horrible read if you want to fall asleep at night try reading that. Okay. Cause it'll put you to sleep <laughs> like that quick. But so that's why I'm always like, find someone who knows what they're doing there. So, and that's why it's so important to have an accountant, a tax specialist who can help you simplify things down. You say, look, here's the business I'm trying to grow. I want to focus on growing my business, creating more value in the marketplace. Cause the more mark, more value I can put in the marketplace, the more I can get compensated. And I want to focus on what I love doing, which is whatever your freelancing or whatever your business is focus on that then find an accountant who can help you give you the, the 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 rules and then the accountant can say keep all these expenses here 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 give it to me at the end of the year and I'll rate it off for you that's the way and that I always approach things 
Yeah. And that's a really healthy way of doing it. Using the resources that are available to you, not stressing yourself out. I often uh, refer to my website as a good example. It's something I'm not very good at updating and keeping sort of uh, all the yeah. all the bugs out of. So I have someone that I work with where if there's something I need to do, rather than spending three days trying to figure out something that would take him half an hour, I just send it off and then pay that fee. And of course, that's a business expense. So that's one example of how I've sort of made my life a little easier uh, by not taking yes. on things that DIYing stuff that I just simply do not understand. Um, uh, this year, I mean, I know you said specifically you don't want to talk to the the budget, but th this year, if you are working with an accountant, um, I, I know that a lot of people don't use the full power of their accountant and the full sort of scope of the things that an accountant can do for them. Um, talk to me a little bit about how, especially someone who's self-employed, should be working with their accountant year-round uh, to just make sure that they're keeping everything in line when it comes to their tax situation. Well, so, and this is, and, and thank you for that, because this kind of hits to the crux of the problem. This is why I wrote my book, The Accountant's Success Formula, Freeing Today's Accountant from an Oppressive Business Model. Most accountants are just transactional with their clients. They just, the client comes in, they do a year-end tax return, and they're done. And they come into a year on tax return, they're done. And you never really have any other contact with your accountant other than the painful time of the year when you have to come in to pay taxes and pay their bill. And so when I changed my, and I had accounting practice for 26 years and I switched my model over and I said, this is, this doesn't make sense. I'm not serving people properly. The business owners, the people that are working out there, creating new value in the world. I want to help them more. And so what I did is I got rid of the billable hour and I gave them a subscription model so they could call me whenever they had a question. But more importantly, I said, it's not just about writing off your taxes. It's about making sure that what we're doing from a tax perspective and business and structural is supporting your entire life. And so I, again, use a simplified thinking tool. I picture, so you picture a house, right? So you got your roof and you got four pillars that holds up the roof of your house. And I call this a four planning pillars uh, approach. The house is like your life that you're trying to build for yourself. And it's supported by four plans. One is your business plan, your wealth plan, your retirement plan, and your estate plan. And each one of those holds up the roof of the house. And so if you're building a house, you would naturally want to make sure that all of those are connected strongly to one another. So when you build a house, you bring in an electrician, a plumber, and a roofer. And so we do the same thing when we're in business and we're running our own businesses that we have an accountant, we have a lawyer, we have a financial advisor that are doing all these different things. But the problem is, imagine if you built a house without a blueprint, with an mm. actual picture that said, this is what the house needs to look like. And then making sure that someone is ensuring that the plumbing is connecting properly to the electrical, the electrical is connecting properly against the wall and the drywaller is doing their job. Everybody's building the same house in the same, the same format. Most business owners or people that are doing their own business, they have all these different advisors that are not working off the same plan. So I went, this doesn't make sense. So every time I give advice to someone on taxes, it's like, well, is the way you're paying taxes, is it supporting your wealth plan? Like how you're growing the wealth for yourself? And mm -hmm. there, and and most people look at me and go, well, I don't, I don't really know. And I said, well, we should know because everything you do affects everything you do. The world is, everything is interconnected. Everything's connected to everything else. So your taxes impact how you grow your wealth, impacts how you can retire and when you can take your retirement income, impacts what your estate is going to be left in your estate for your family. And so those mm -hmm. are those four pillars. And so I have that in the Accountant Success Formula book, and I have it online on my um, my website, ericsolbackandcpa.com. You can get this kind of visual picture of the four planning pillars of the house and say, hey, 
is what we're doing for taxes supporting this house build that I'm, my life is it actually connected is the business connected plan to be connected to the wealth plan to the retirement plan and the estate plan when you start looking at it from that perspective if you're using the right accountant they will go oh my gosh yeah we're no no because you're putting money into rsps over here but we're paying you a dividend out of your company we're out of alignment and it mm -hmm. and people get caught because we're not looking at the big picture so it's about having an accountant that helps you see, understands the life you're trying to build for yourself and making sure that the tax advice and the, the taxes you write off is in alignment with those four plans. Eric, this has been such an enlightening conversation. I think when we think of tax time, when we think of accountants, many of us don't think of it being as dynamic as the way you've explained it. Thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about the account success form formula and to take a little bit of the stress out of tax time, especially for those of us who are doing, uh, are, have a, our own business, who are self-employed and do find this time quite overwhelming. So I really thank you for your time. Oh, Rubini, it's been absolutely a blast and I, I look forward to to talking with you again. Yeah, for sure. That's Eric Solbach, and he's a CPA and the author of the Account Success Formula. He gave his website there, ericsolbachandcpa.ca. We are going to take a quick break. This week was the federal budget. It came down. There was a lot of tidbits in there for Canadians' pocketbooks. We're going to be breaking down more of those after this break. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is for what it's worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. That brings us to the end of For What It's Worth. Some key takeaways from today's program. When it comes to life insurance, you really should start thinking about getting a policy when you have dependents. So children, someone who depends on your income, really sitting down and thinking, if I wasn't here and my income didn't exist, who would be most affected by it? Who would suffer the most if I didn't exist? And if there are a number of people that depend on your income, in many cases it's our children, then it's worth thinking about getting a life insurance policy so that you know that if something, if something was to happen to you, that they could still financially afford their life. And make sure you think about things like your mortgage, your lifestyle, your debts. All of these things have to be considered when you're thinking about the size of the life insurance policy you want. Also interesting to hear the different types of insurance policies that are available. So term insurance, which basically stands for temporary insurance, is only for a set amount of time. Once it's done, it's done. Whole life or permanent insurance um, lasts forever. It's much more expensive. So something to consider uh, if you want to go the expensive route or you want to protect yourself for a short amount of time. I personally like term insurance because after 20, 30 years, my point of view is that my children will be independent, financially independent, and they will no longer need uh, that insurance in order to keep their lives going and that they will get an inheritance when I pass away of the home that we own and any investments that we still have. And so that will be the money that they receive if if we were to pass, if when we pass. Uh, but they don't need to have, some people have set their kids up with million dollar life insurance policies. That won't be necessary because I'm hoping by that time they will be financially independent and they will not have a need for that money. So something to consider. How much money do you think those dependents will need when you pass away? And does term insurance make sense 
Maybe you only need it for 20 years. And after 20 years, your kids will be adults and they may not need as big of a policy as you first set yourself up with. Also talking about tax time. And I really liked how our guest, uh, Eric Solback, and put it into perspective that if you pay more tax, it's actually a positive thing. It means you made more income. It means that year over year, your your salary is increasing and that's a positive. So you want to be tax efficient, of course. You want to make sure that you're not paying tax for no reason. So putting money into the RRSP, taking advantage of credits and benefits, making sure that any expenses that you incurred because of your business that you are claiming them, that is that is good because that's going to help you reduce your overall income tax burden. But not to make this narrative true about how, oh my gosh, I can't, I, I, I can't believe how much taxes I have to pay. It should be, wow, I paid so many taxes because I did really well last year when it came to my income. Taxes are a fact of life. We live in a civilized society where we need to pay for things uh, like our roads and our public services and our police and our health care and our dental care and all the other things. The money has to come from somewhere. And where does it come from? It comes from income tax. So really turning it on its head this sort of negative idea that we have about taxes and helping us understand, uh, myself included as a freelancer, what is considered a business expense and what's not. And he was very simple about it. If you had to spend that money for your business, it's a business expense. If you spent that money on personal use, then it's not a business expense. Very easy kind of way uh, to determine which one it is. We did have the federal budget come down earlier this week. There was a lot in there for Canadians uh, when it comes to their pocketbook. Not as much as I had hoped for. I really wanted to hear more about cost of living and how they were going to tackle you know, home prices and they were going to tackle the fact that inflation is uh, running at a near 40-year high. There wasn't much in there with that. But there were some things in there that I think are very positive. Uh, following in the U.S. president's footsteps, uh, the Canadian government wants to get rid of so-called what they say junk fees. So these are hidden fees that may surprise you when you go get to the actual checkout portion of your purchase and realize, wow, so it was advertised, this item, this ticket, this service was advertised for $100. But now that I'm checking out, it's got a delivery fee, a service fee, some other admin fee that I wasn't aware of. And that $100 with taxes has now ballooned to $150. And that's not what I wanted to pay. We all understand that we have to pay taxes, sales tax on most things, but we don't want to pay all these extra fees. And how can those fees be more transparent so that we don't get into a situation where we think it's going to be 25 bucks to have that food delivered to our door, but really when we break it down and we actually get into the app and put in all the things that we need, that $25 meal turns into a $50 meal because of all the expenses that are to add, that are added into it. So that's one thing they want to tackle is junk fees. They also want to, and Europe has already done this, bring in standard char- standard charging ports. So this is a frustration that so many of us have that when you go and you want to charge your phone or your iPad or any of your electronic devices, that all the ports are different. So they want to standardize that so that no matter where you are, you can easily charge your electronic devices because those are now a utility. A smartphone is now, internet is now a utility. We need it no matter where we are. Now you go to a restaurant, they require it for you to look at the menu, right? So we need our technology with us all the time. So standardizing the charging is just going to make it easier for us to function in our modern society. Uh, the big one uh, for 
Canadians was dental care. They are expanding dental care. This was a promise that they made with the NDP that they would bring it in. It's actually costing uh, more than they had first expected, costing $7.3 billion. And they're hoping to have uh, the new plan implemented by the end of 2023. There is a plan in place right now, but a new plan implemented by 2023 that will be a bit more robust. And for anybody with a household income of less than 90000 their children 12 and under, will be able to access care right away, and it will be expanded to 18 and under by the time it's fully uh, implemented by the end of 2023. So that is good news for those who are finding it hard to afford dental care, that there is uh, some relief, not just for those 12 and under, but also uh, uh, older children as well for getting their cleanings and other basic dental uh, services that they may need. Thank you so much to you, the listener, for uh, tuning in for the last hour. Thanks so much to technical producer Bilal Masri for putting up with uh, me for another week. And we'll have another episode for what it's worth at this time on this channel. Until then, thank you so much. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.